Welcome to Book Bites with Maggie. I'm podcasting from the Napanee Public Library and I'm your host, Maggie. I'm the Youth Services Assistant here at Napanee. And joining me today on our episode is Garrett. He's our business manager and avid reader and friend. Together, we're gonna be talking about books that take place on the high seas. So it might be everything from sailors to pirates to mermaids and more. And we've got books from all different sections of our library and many genres for this episode. Okay, so I'm super excited about this episode, Garrett. I would be a mermaid if I could. I mean, I'd be a pirate if I could. There you go. See, this is meant to be. So all of the books that we have before us, and look, we have a pretty good spread here. I'm not going to lie. I did find that I pulled mostly teen, but that's okay. And you can balance me out with some fantasy. It looks like you've got nonfiction. Yeah. Sci-fi. I think that's the only teen book I have. So I think that sci-fi and fantasy books probably are what mermaids are all about. Pirates obviously have historical significance, but I want to believe that they're real. So I feel like they're just, they're just a part of me. The first book that I wanted to talk about actually works for our Expand Your Horizons. One of the topics in our list this year is a retelling. So um, I feel like I have more than one that's a retelling. But this one is the ninth book in a series by Serena Valentino. She writes the Villains series that is found in our teen section. And what she does is she writes a book for the villains in popular Disney movies. Obviously, those come from historical stories from the Grim Fairy Tales and some others. So in this specific book, in the ninth one, it takes place with the back upbringing of Hook. So I love the cover. Have you seen these? Oh, I've not. That is a nice cover. So it's like half of a face, like gnarly looking teeth. And what you get when you're reading these books is why they are the way they are. Because when you're watching the movie, when you're um, remembering what these villains are like in the TV shows and in the movies, they you already see that they're bad. Mm-hmm. They enter the scene bad. But why are they the way that they are? So in this one, James is his name. And throughout the whole book, he's called James until the very end. And then you find out why he gets his name. Now, we all know that in the story of Peter Pan, he is the infamous pirate that is always circling around Mermaid Lagoon and is just terrorized by a crocodile with a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Okay, So in this backstory, you find out that Hook, when he was little, fell out of his carriage when he was in a park with his nanny and became a lost boy. So when you are misplaced as a child, you go to this place, this Mm -hmm. ether of the lost world. You go to Neverland. And it becomes this place where all the children who are lost live and they just take care of each other until they're found. And if you are not found by your parents in two weeks, you get to stay a lost boy. Okay. Okay, so there's this timeline. And James loves living in Neverland. Day 13, we're getting so close. He thinks Neverland's going to be his home, and his parents find him. And he has to leave Neverland. So he goes back, living um, in Great Britain. He's raised. He goes to these stellar schools, extremely smart. But his absolute desire more than anything else in the world is to go back to Neverland. He wants to go back to what he experienced when he was a little kid. He wants to live with Peter and the rest of the Lost Boys in Neverland. And so you get this story of this driven, driven, very smart man who takes it upon himself to find a pirate, to become a first mate with all of his seafaring knowledge, 
to put himself in a position where he can learn the seas and get himself back to Neverland. And then as this happens, he does make his way back. He does lots of um, things that get him into a position of saving the captain, taking over his own ship. He gets back to Neverland and it's not the same as what he remembered because now he's an adult. And what he remembered and what he found joy in was from a child's perspective. Right. And Peter doesn't understand. Peter didn't want him to be there. And so he feels ostracized and pushed back. And so it just, what his desires were don't match up what the reality is. And so in going back to Neverland, that's when he loses his arm. He loses his clock. That's... It, it just, it all brings it back and it circles together. So this was a really interesting read. I did not read the first eight books in the Villains series. So I was a little bit out of the loop with um, the Odd Sisters and the storyline that goes through that part of the book. But you could pick this up and just get James's perspective in just the ninth book. So if you really like Peter Pan, if you like Wendy and you like that whole storyline, this could be another um, POV, another perspective of that storyline. And... I think what I wrote about this after reading it was that I don't think I will ever think of him as a person as Hook anymore because throughout the whole book, everything that he does, everybody around him just goes, oh, James. And so it just feels like something like you just want to like shake your head at somebody and just figure out why are they the way that they are. <laughs> but we have the whole series that's in our teen section here at the library. And so we kicked it off with pirates. Do you want to start with a pirate book too, Garrett? Yeah. So... Actually, I have a book very similar to yours. It's called Lost Boy, The True Story of Captain Hook. So another retelling, um, we have it as an e-audio book on Hoopla. Okay. We don't actually have a physical copy here. But, I mean, similar to yours, it shows the hook and him losing it. Christina Henry, I know this author, she has written other retellings. She has. My first entrance was an Alice in Wonderland retelling of hers. Oh, yeah. So. Okay. But she does have a little uh, mermaid, the mermaid one. one. I read yep. that one. Yep. So this is a little bit more. He stays a lost boy. He doesn't okay. go back. He doesn't. He stays, he's he not doesn't found. Get found. Okay. And we see him being Peter's sort of first mate. Okay. No wait. Does he grow up? Yes. Or he's still a kid. He's still a kid. Okay. But you see the decisions that Peter does throughout the book, and how. I don't remember his name. I don't know if it's That's James. Okay. It'd be really funny if it was. It'd be appropriate. If it was James? If it was James. But um, you see his reaction to Peter's decisions and how that causes him to sort of slowly age. So he becomes like an older teen about halfway through. And then it ends with him becoming an adult and being on, at odds with Peter. His decision. Okay. <laughs> so it ends with him losing... I think retellings are, it's like a hit or miss mm -hmm. because you can have your own thoughts and processes on what you want a book to be like. You don't want it to be so far from the truth right? as you know it to hate it right from the get-go. But to see somebody else's version of what they think could happen is often a fun way to spend time reading books. It feels like, it's like Hook, the Robin Williams movie. I hate, is that the one with... Uh, Julia Roberts as yes. Tinkerbell. Okay, yeah. I've only seen parts of it. Okay, that's the one I grew up with. Okay. And so seeing even the animated Peter Pan, I'm like, that's not, I don't have that vision. 
And this a little bit more aligns, in my opinion, to... To that one. That one. So this is called The Lost Boy by Christina Henry. Yep. And we have it available on Hoopla. I like it. Okay, so we're jumping... Is that one... That's probably an adult book, right? Yes. Okay, so we have teen, adult... I'm going to do a kid's book. This is a brand new kid's picture book in our collection. Tracy Baptiste wrote The Mermaid and the Pirate. And this one is such a cute, cartoony, graphic um, picture book. And it's about a mermaid and a pirate that they speak two different languages and they come from two different worlds, but they're always quick to lend a hand, lend a tail. And as the sky grows stormy and the waters get rough, their friendship starts to bloom. It's a story of kindness and generosity and how even though there's a language barrier, that the generosity that they have between each other speaks louder than words. So that thought was such a fun one to do as a story time book and to read it together as... Um, oh, I like the like all the pictures. Isn't that so cute? It is. Look at that. It'd make a good bedtime story. It, it does. It's very colorful. So I feel like when you kind of picture mermaids and pirates and sailors and things, you automatically put a gender with different people, right? You think men, pirates, girls, mermaids, but obviously that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Both of us have read books that had female pirateers. Mm -hmm. I read um, a historical book about a Chinese um, woman who ends up taking over her the pirate ship when her husband dies. So they kind of have a half fleet and as they are sailing the seas and he dies in order to maintain control over her half of the fleet, she marries his next in line. Okay. So Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea by Rita Chang Epig is a foreign uh, folklore story and it's uh, about this woman who she's in power and so as a woman pirate lead she is constantly constantly questioned by her her crew mm -hmm. is she making the right decisions are her loyalties with her family are her loyalties with her sailors and so this was kind of an, an interesting read for me she constantly uses her body to keep herself in power. So she marries to stay in power. Mm -hmm. She gives him a son so that he has an heir to help stay in power. But as a woman who lives on a pirate ship, she just sends her children off to live with family. And so she doesn't have that fulfillment of motherhood and she doesn't believe that she would be a good mother. So you have this kind of hit and miss on what it would be like to be a woman on a ship um, for so long ago. But you, you see the whole storyline and they talk about alliances and how certain captains and crews had certain parts of the ocean and everybody respected each other's boundaries mm -hmm. and everybody kind of had tasks to do in the greater world on protecting certain sections of ocean. So I kind of liked how that was all explained in this story, but what happens when some of these alliances are broken and who do you trust was something that was it made me question a lot when I was reading this one I could not pronounce most of the Chinese names so I kind of just made up a name that went with the first letter of what I was reading that helped me a little bit navigate the story but then if somebody asked me who the characters were they don't, they're not going to match up with the names that I gave the characters in my head right um so she definitely had a lot of determination and she didn't let gender or motherhood hinder her co-leadership. And this one is going to still be on our new bookshelf here at the library for several weeks. We just got this one in June. Again, it's Deep as the Sky, Red as the Sea by Rita Chang Epig. You want to do another book? Sure. Um, 
going along the lines of that, uh, we have a nonfiction book called Pirate Queens. I want to read that. I started it, and it's pretty good. And it actually talks about a Chinese pirate. I'm not going to pronounce the name. See? If they're hard, right? And I feel like a lot of fantasy authors like that, they get to pick like these names that you're like, I don't know how to they say do. that. <laughs> it's worse because it's a real name, too. So it's like Ching Shi was a Chinese pirate who presided over a fleet of 80,000 men. That's a lot. Blackbeard had uh-huh. 400. Yeah, so so you're talking like hundreds and hundreds of ships that traveled together. Yes. Wow. And she's one of six um, female pirates from history that this book goes into details about. Talks a little bit. It's a National Geographic and it's a children's nonfiction. So I like how it's written because it has like lots of pictures and illustrations. It does. And it's written kind of in bits and blurbs so that you don't feel like you have to read it cover to cover. You could just kind of open it up into different sections that you find interesting. And they have little poems too that go along with each. Oh, um, I don't even think I realized that. But yeah, it feels like an encyclopedia, but done in a way that doesn't feel boring. I think, like, watching all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like, put this preconceived notion about what what pirates should look like. Mm-hmm. And they're just regular people. They're, right. Yeah. They all have different outfits. I mean, even that one. Okay. I'm going to have to look at that one more closely. What is the um, subtitle? Uh, Pirate Queen's Dauntless Women Who Dared to Rule the High Seas by Lee Lewis. Hmm. I like that. But yeah, even this picture of the six women, they all had varying outfits. Only yeah. two of them. Like, that's. That's more like piratey. Yeah. Right. So we were both talking about Trisha Leon Seller's books. You started the series. I started it. I literally am so excited because the third book comes out this fall. I may have already pre ordered it. And I cannot wait to pick it up. So this, that these are being re-released along with the third book. And like, they're such beautiful covers. They're redoing the, the book jackets. They're redoing like the end pages. So when you're thinking about a book, when you're holding it closed, like it's normally white, unless it's like gilded pages for like a whatever. But somebody's um, like painting them and they're okay. kind of like all pretty. And I'm so excited. So exciting. this is the story of the daughter of the pirate king is the first book. And as you're reading this one, you, I mean, at least I thought so, I was absolutely just entranced and immediately in the middle of this story where um, our main character, she's um, the daughter of a pirate king. She was kind of raised on a pirate ship. And so she knows all the ins and outs of what pirate life is like. And she takes over a pirate ship at 17 years old and she allows herself to be captured by her enemies in order to search their ship. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have had the guts at 17 to put myself in danger to uh, further a a plan that I didn't really know right. what was happening. Especially... You're putting your trust in a lot of people yeah. <laughs> without yeah. questioning anything. Absolutely. So as you're reading the story of Alosa, that's how I pronounced it. Is that how you pronounced it? Yeah. Alosa, Alasa, something. And she just 
just strikes everybody as being like this amazing person. Like the sword fights in this, I just, I was entranced. Like to the point that I'm like reading in the middle of the night and my kid comes in and scares the crap out of me. Because like in that moment, I was like hiding behind a trash can, like watching this sword fight because Mm -hmm. it was so realistic to me. It is the perfect blend of action, romance, adventure, and a little bit of magic that takes this... um, from being just a regular pirate book to being what it is. Such a strong female protagonist. She's half siren, half pirate. And you don't really know that until you read the second book that she is half siren too. You just know she's really good at swimming. Um, and so the love interest in this book is Raiden. Together they're going to take their storyline into the second book. And I cannot wait for the third one. Vengeance of the Pirate Queen comes out in November. And as many pirate and mermaid books as I've read, and I've read a lot, <laughs> This is a series that I just adore. Okay, tell me what you she, thought. She felt like Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, yes. Like, hands down. Yeah. If it was, I felt like I was watching a female version of Captain Jack. Kind of like follows your gut. Uh-huh. And you might question why she's doing what she's doing, but it all works out in the end. No concern or worry about the situation, all the confidence in the world to just walk into something yes. dangerous. And yeah, it was, it's a blast. I can't wait to finish the second one like, or start the second one. Yes, it, I promise you're going to love it just as much. Okay, so she's 17 when you're starting the book. She's a little bit older in the second, so I don't know like how old she'll be in the third book. It's been years. Let me try to think. The second book here came out... As we're flipping five years ago 2018 so maybe she's aged five years maybe the storyline follows somebody else I, I just can't wait to see so Alosa come back to us we cannot wait to read more I, I will of your say stories the romance isn't super heavy either yeah like I mean she's part siren which that has it's a fun. romantic aspect to it anyway because right. sirens you can be call. like entrancing right so even then it's not like super heavy and people aren't going to be like I don't want to read it because it's romance no the romance is very minimal in that yeah. one for sure yeah it's there at least in the but first it's, book it's, but it's, it's not there, like the main not, part of the story line. right she is doing her quest and could care less it just happens to be that Raiden is very Raiden's attractive there yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> give us another book uh break stick with the female leads Okay. Bloody Jack. Being an account of the curious adventures of Mary Jackie Farber, ship's boy, by L.A. Meyer. It's a first in a series. I think there's like nine. Oh, golly. Do you read them all? No. Oh. Um, our friend Maddie. She's mm-hmm. the one that... Yay, Maddie! This. So, had to, had to read it for her. Um, it's the first in the series about uh, an orphan English girl. And she lives on the ship. She can pass as a boy. She's like 10, maybe, 9 mm-hmm. or 10 at the beginning of the story. She passes as a boy, cuts her hair short, dresses as a boy, and gets hired because she can read. To and that makes her an boy. asset. Yep. yep. So throughout the book, she is a, a ship boy on the, for the Royal Navy. Oh. It's, she's not a pirate. She works for the, the British Navy at the time and they fight pirates and eventually um, it gets found out that she is not Jack. 
Do you ever Mary. watch Swiss Family Robinson? Yeah. Okay, so, like, I kind of get that concept, you know, like, you're more in danger if you were a woman. Mm-hmm. On a ship, on a boat, whatever. And so dressing as a man was a go-to. Maybe that's why it makes the pirate queens and the female pirates even more like holy cow to our understanding of what pirates can be because it was more known to just kind of pass yourself off as a man. Right. Hmm. And that one too, like going back to the daughter of Pirate King, it's refreshing. They don't care. Like they expect her. Mm-hmm. To and be and what she's she is. not the only girl. There's no, other like is, pirates. Yeah, she's and got then, like yeah, she has a whole something. female pirate group. So it's interesting to see that and then compare it to this where she's hiding because she'll be killed if she's yeah. found out. Even though she's of benefit being able to read. Right. Okay, so I'm glad you said there's nine books because the title alone, Bloody Jack, that one, it just makes me feel like, oh, it's going to be a gruesome murder. But it's not. Well, good, because there's nine more books, so he's got to live. She's She's got to live. But it goes, like, she becomes, I think the second one is being an account of the curious adventures of Mary Jackie Farber ships whatever the step up is. Okay. Like, she gets... Promoted. Promotion. Oh, okay. And she gets found out and stuff. So, So. is is she Mm -hmm. (laughs) found out in the first book? She is. And then accepted as a woman? I do not remember. I think okay. she saves them, and so they feel like obligated yeah. to. But then her being a necessity means that it's going to help further her endeavor. Yep. I like that. Yeah, it, it's very odd. Like, she starts at 10, probably ends this around 16, I think, 15, 16 age. <laughs> so life transitions happen. Oh, yeah, for sure. That she's like, oh, well, I can't hide as well as I used to. And it talks about that and trying to figure out yeah. how to go about it. She gets in, yeah. So you can she, always cut your hair, but there's other things you can't hide. Right. So she's the one that sews all of the uniforms for the ship boys. Because she wants to, one, to make one for herself. And then she goes and says, you know, these look good. The captain's like, okay, you make the rest of the crews. Yeah. So it's like her that. out for doing that. That works. That's on Hoopla. Okay. Okay, so obviously I've seen The Little Mermaid. You've seen The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Have you read the, like, historical version? Like the grim version? Yes, I've read the grim version. Okay, that's, like, super dark. It is. Super dark. But you're always going to find more and more retellings of The Little Mermaid. I mean, there's hundreds of them out there. This one is a little bit different. This is The Prince of Song and Sea by Lindsay Miller, And it is going to be, I think there's two of them so far, but these are retellings from the prince's perspective. Okay. So this is the first book in the series. This is for fans that like Twisted Tales and villains, and it's a new YA series. Um, This one is going to follow Eric. So he's going to be your sailor from The Little Mermaid who hears her song and she loses her voice, right? You know the whole story. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be from his perspective. And he's actually adopted, which I thought was quite interesting. And he's adopted by the Queen of Bologna and is missing for two years. And a plague has been threatening him his entire life. But if he was to kiss somebody other than his true love, then that he's going to continue to be plagued for his entire life. Kind of the play-by-play on what you know to be the Little Mermaid from the Disney movie 
and then you get his perspective from um, knowing that he has this curse set upon him and saving himself for his true love or having to like to get away from the curse by battling the sea witch himself. Okay. So he goes on these voyages to try to track down the sea witch because you have to find her in order to kill her and all these different things. So I did like the different perspective of this one. Um, and that one is going to follow another prince in the Disney line. So we'll see how the rest of the series goes. This first one, though, is The Prince of Song and Sea by Lindsay Miller. And we have that one in our teen section. Apparently, I'm still on this female pirate kick. <laughs> That's okay. So, The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. I know Sarah Kidd. I just read this book. It was so... I'm not a big... It's nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It's a biography. But it's written like a story, it's not like, like block text. Yeah. And I, I'm i not big on nonfiction books, but this one, probably because it's pirates and I love pirates, made it a little bit easier. But it's so interesting to go through and see what it's like to be the wife of a pirate, mm -hmm. of a very infamous pirate. But he didn't start out that way. He didn't. So... And that was not her first husband. So Sarah is actually married off before she's like 15. Was she like 13 or 14? Something like that, Like yeah. she's married off early. She's a widow by the time she's 19, gets remarried, is widowed a second time by the time she's like 21, mm -hmm. and then gets married a third time to somebody who's like really high up in the ranks of society. Yeah. And then he kind of turns rogue. And that's what makes her kind of have her own fall from grace. Because now she is the pirate's wife. Yeah. I, I had never really thought about different parts of history and what piracy could look like. Because you, you either just look like a really stinky person on a ship. Or you look like somebody of really high class. And they talk about like the gilded age of piracy in this book and Sarah is a lot different than um, Bloody Jack because she cannot read and write right and so in later on in her life as you're reading this book she does learn how to write her own name which speaks volumes to how she's able to kind of reimagine herself later on in life because it says like she would only she only knew her Initials. initials. Mm -hmm. And yep. she'd mark that on everything. And she finally was able to sign her will or something. Yeah. But she absolutely loved this third husband. So they were married 25 years? I feel like they were married quite a so. while. And it spoke volumes that even after he is killed for his crimes, that she still like treasured their time together. Yeah if you will. So like it talks about even after she's married a fourth time to um to another gentleman that she's still signing petitions to try to help former pirate wives and children to like be able to keep their endowments and to be able to keep their their money even though the crimes are not their own. Right. The crimes are of their father or the crimes are of their their late husbands or whatever. Cuz she lost everything. Everything. And her reputation was tainted, mm -hmm. and she, yeah, she was considered the scum of the earth yeah. just for being married to 
just to be married to a pirate. And I did find it interesting that, like, they even took things that were legally hers. So, Mm -hmm. like, she had her own silver cup. She had, like, a gold-gilded box. Things that she took with her from New York when she left and got remarried and then got remarried. So, again, she's had four marriages over the course of her life. And she had these things, but then after her third husband, the pirate, is, like killed they take all of her things Mm -hmm. and they just assume that they are things that he stole as a pirate not giving any understanding that they could have been things from hers in her past because at the same time she is also jailed because she was on the ship and for different things and because she stood by his side so i did find it very interesting i think the most interesting for me interesting thing for me was that she truly believed he wouldn't be found guilty. Yeah. So she was so entrenched or whatever into this mindset that, like, no, what he wasn't wrong mm-hmm. for what he did. Stuff. But. But, I mean, like, I feel like even he believed that what he was doing was what he was supposed to be doing. Right. You kind of get, like, this gray area that he wasn't just out to hurt people. He thought he was following orders from somebody who maybe was taking disadvantage of him. Yeah. It's so interesting. Even this one talks about that a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, mm. The Pirate's Wife, Wife, the remarkable true story of Sarah Kidd. It's it's extremely well researched. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's And you can like see the end papers like all the bibliography records and the acknowledgments in the back. It's like 40 pages. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. So lots and lots of research goes into this book. So, But it's, it is, like Yara said, it's a very fun way to read history when it's written in a book format instead of just it didn't feel like blurb after blurb of a textbook. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so we did another pirate book. Let's go back to Sirens. Have you read Kira Cass at all? I have not. So she wrote the Selection series, which is probably her most famous. I know that series. I've you don't. You haven't read it. No. You need to read that one too. This one is a standalone, though. This is the Siren. It was published first as like, what do you call it? Self-published, mm-hmm. and then later on was um, published through a publishing house. So when you're looking this one up. It has a variety of different covers, different titles. Some of them say The Siren. Others just call it The Siren or Just Siren. And this was probably one of the first books that I read that gave the ocean its own perspective. So not only is the ocean a character, if you will, it has a voice. So in our story, Kaylin is drowning in the opening scene of this book. She was on a boat with her family, and she makes a deal with the ocean. If you save me, I will be indebted to you, and the ocean takes her up on that. So the ocean makes her into this a very long time, like hundreds of years, to repay her debt for being saved. As a siren, her voice is used, obviously, to lure people into the water because the ocean needs to eat people. You're laughing, okay? The ocean needs to eat in order to sustain itself. Okay. So she is bringing people to feed the ocean. Now, as you're reading this story, Kaylin, even though she is hundreds of years old, she presents as like an older teen. She's very beautiful. 
and she lives in a home with other sirens. They all have different um, parts of the ocean that they serve, and they're all trying to feed her and keep her um, satisfied. They can't talk because their voices obviously are used to lure these people in mm-hmm. and so they learn sign language and I think that that is part of the reason why I like it so much is because I'm I love reading about sign and so you have the internal voice of the ocean and they communicate with each other with the sirens and you have all the sirens communicating with each other and as each of them serve the length of their sentence they get to like leave, maybe go start a family. And so there's like some mourning. People that you've spent a lot of time with are no longer living in your house. Um, and I just thought it was a very interesting take on what a mermaid might look like outside of the ocean. So they have legs, they're walking. She goes to college. She meets um, a gentleman who she is supposed to be again feeding to the ocean, but ends up falling for him and having um, feelings. And so as Callan is working towards finishing her own sentence, she meets a Kinley, and he's handsome and caring and kind and everything that um, Callan has ever dreamed of. But they can't talk. So then you have that little mermaid feel to it because mm-hmm. there's no voice and how do you really get to know somebody without talking to them? But they have cooking lessons and all different kinds of things. I love this book. I've read it twice. Um, and as much as it freaks me out that the ocean eats people... <laughs> It's still such a beautiful story. Um, you need to read this one. That's that one sounds very interesting. It's it's just unique, but the, like the cover is so beautiful that it doesn't sound gory, but it's it, it can be intense. Some of the scenes where, like she's, you know, luring in like modern day cruise ships to feed mm-hmm. the ocean okay so it's timeless but at the same time like it feels very real at the same time so this is the siren by kira cass many of you have probably already read the selection series so this is going to be a standalone title by the same author we have it currently in our team section going along with that in the like different takes yeah the faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. That's creepy. Joseph Fink. Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner. They uh, they created a podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. And this is a character from that. You don't need to know the podcast at all. Okay. Um, basically, there's two stories going on in this book. The present day, where this faceless old woman is haunting this person's house. And talks about it's from her perspective you know I I she decides that she doesn't want the guy to go out with this person so she takes his phone and cancels the date and makes her hate him and things like that at the same time it goes back to her story of when she was a kid her dad was a smuggler and she becomes a pirate as the story tells, she becomes a pirate to take vengeance on her father's killer, all the while, you know, getting snippets of what she's doing in the present day to break it up by the, you know, she's a kid, now she's a teen pirate, now she's about to... But it's what drives her, and why she is the way she is. Why she is the way she is. Um, Yeah, this is 
a unique horror story with a rare, rare swashbuckling and complex female protagonist. The faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. That is so creepy. It is so, it's so good. I don't know. Okay, so I'm looking at the cover, and it's like displaced graphics on a blue cover. Mm -hmm. And I'm pulling these books, getting ready for us to record here. And like, I walked by it like three or four different times. It is not what I was expecting to pull off the shelf for this episode. Yeah, nothing about, I mean, there's a ship, but other than that, nothing else Stands out as being super piratey. No, and it, it doesn't feel like it at first, but then... Once you start seeing her growing up, you're like, oh, there's this is a pirate story yeah. at its heart. And I you said it's horror? Much. Thriller? It's horror with quotes. Okay. It's thriller. I don't know. I think, the hor- I think the horror aspect is the idea of this lady's haunting people yeah. in present day. That's true. And that, that's takes place, scary. I mean, it starts in 2011. And her story starts in 1792. Oh. So somehow, between 1792 to 2011, something happens and she becomes faceless. Does it say? say? Yeah. Why she's faceless? Yeah. Okay, but that'll run it. Okay, we won't say. It's a big part of the story. Okay. I think so. But we should read that. You should read it. It seems weird. It's not nearly as, like, spooky or scary. And is it part of a series or it's a standalone? Nope, it's a standalone. Okay. Give me another one so I'm not thinking about the faceless old woman. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Trust of the Emerald Sea by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, he did Four Secret Projects, and this is one of them. Super excited about mm-hmm. this book. I know lots of readers of Brandon Sanderson. He writes so well that it's very easy to pick up any of his books and, like, as long as it's not like the middle of a series. Right. And just feel a part of the world. And so this is about Tress, who lives on a small island and collects cups. Like to like drink tea from? Cups. Like a cup. Okay. Like different types of mugs. Okay, and, and steins and... Yeah, she just loves cups. Interesting. Uh, her friend, Charlie, goes on a voyage with Tress's dad and something happens. And she decides to get off her little island and try and save him on a sea full of pirates. Very good. But the sea is not a sea like eating. It's not, <laughs> it's eating. not eating people. It's not eating people. <laughs> but it is, it's an ocean of spores. Okay. So think of like, it's, it's fluidization is the term. So sand that feels like liquid, but mushroom spores that, when broken and absorbed, will poison you and kill you. Okay. So it's very, it's a very different, it's not a pirate book, but it's it takes more along, place on the seas. It takes place on the seas. It's more along the lines of like Stardust by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Or The Princess Bride. Which I like. Which it's a classic. And this feels a lot like The Princess Bride. Okay. And it's told like that, too. But from a female perspective. From a female perspective, yeah. It looks really new. Is that one new in our collection? Yeah, uh, it just got taken off of the new shelf. Okay. Science fiction, and that says book one. It's a a standalone. I think it says book one because he made four secret books. 
Okay. And so I think they're labeling it as. Oh, okay. But they are all You could be re- read individually. Yeah. Hmm. It's a good jumping in point. If you Does it say why she collects cups? That just seems so odd. I mean, we all have things that we well, that's true. like to collect, right? That's true. Uh, the next book is one that I have not read yet, but I have it on my list. It is a teen graphic novel, The Sea Serpent's Heir. It's uh, book one by Margaret Scott. Let's hope that we're saying that right, not butchering it too much. It is The Pirate's Daughter, the first book. As Ariel is forced to fight for her life, she'll discover that her entire world is not what it seems. Her aunts know more than they let on, and everything um, that she thinks she knows isn't true. What does the infamous pirate queen want with her? Mm-hmm. The end of the world is coming. I don't know. It just looked really, really interesting to me. I, I don't know. I think pictures just add so much to the world building of what piracy and mermaids and all that kind of stuff can, can look like from yeah, a different definitely. person's perspective. It's not very long either, so I don't know why I just didn't get to it. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to look that one up. You read a graphic novel, too. You I have... did. I prefer the art in the one in this you one? just talked about to this one. You don't like the art no, in that I one? No, I don't like the art in this one. But it's still a good story. Um, Under the Banner of King Death, Pirates of the Atlantic, a graphic novel by David Lester. It goes, it's... Well, it's listed under literature and graphic, but it's, as far oh, as I can tell, it's oh, historical. It's, it's it's historical fiction that they've made into a graphic novel, right. kind of like The Great Gatsby and yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. But, like, it gives you the timeline. I didn't know that, you know, pirates were only around for 70 years. I thought there were still pirates I mean, today. there are still pirates today, but, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain well, Jack-type yeah. pirates, that was only 70 years of hmm. our history. I think it's so focused, like, that's right before the revolution. That's true. So it's hard to, like, see all these things. But it gives you a glossary of the words they say. You know, bacon-faced is full-faced. Chew the bullet. Stifle your groans. Some of them, like, Davy Jones's Locker. Okay. Obviously. That's the bottom of the sea. That one was obvious. But uh, Death's Head is the skull and crossbones. I I never would have put that together. Like what's on a flag. Right, the Jolly okay. Roger. So it's it's the tale of... I forget his name. I just read it. John Gwynn, an African-American fugitive from bondage in South Carolina. Reuben Decker, a common seaman from Amsterdam. And Mark, Mary... Reed, oh, and somebody else that... An American woman who defies stereotypes by dressing as a man. There you go. And it goes and it talks about that because she comes out to John and explains, you know, like, oh, I'm actually Mary. I had served in the army during the Queen, Queen Anne's War. And, like, mm. and she comes out and to the pirates and explains it. But it's, it's, it goes along the lines of when we were talking about pirate's wife, Sarah, mm-hmm. and them being like, they aren't doing anything wrong. Like, their belief is that they are, it's better for everyone to be equals and everyone to have a say in what happens. Like, they, they get hunted down by the Royal Navy, and basically, they find the guy, they capture the, the captain of that, 
and they put him on trial the way they would put him. Be like put they put trial. him on trial on the ship? On the ship. The way that they would be put on trial back at land. Yeah. And all of them vote to kill him because he's a pirate hunter, mm-hmm. except one person who stands up and says, no, he saved my life back in the day. And so they let him go. Only to, you know, end up being captured and... Hunted again. Hunted and killed. But... Okay. Michael Cryan, the author of Jurassic Park, wrote a book called Pirate Latitudes. And this was his first book published posthumously. Mm -hmm. It was a mouthful. Okay, what does that mean for people that don't know what that means? He passed away and this was the first book that got published after that. Right, so he was working on it in life and it was published in death. Yep. Oh, that's a good way to say that. I'm going to have to remember that. You know, it's like when you can't pronounce a word, you find a different way of saying something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, It is a very stereotypical pirate book. Uh, But it starts with, you know, 1665, the Caribbean. Uh, Follows Captain Charles Hunter who starts as a captain for the Navy, Royal Navy, but decides to go his own way. Uh, his crew, he gives them an option. He says, hey, we there's this fire, uh, Spanish fort that has a boat that has a bunch of gold on it. Um, if we do this, we're going to be pirates. So it's up to you guys if we do this or not. Okay. And they go along with it. And so it goes from him turning into a pirate all the way up to him being killed as a pirate. Yeah. As all pirates do, it seems. Yes. (laughs) It's the tale, at least for the pirate books. It seems that the mermaids could potentially get a happy ending, but the pirates don't. The pirates don't. And let that be a warning. We should not be pirates. We should not be pirates. (laughs) They all end grizzly. Uh, no, basically, it felt like watching Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. Just not as, it felt more serious. Like, if Disney wasn't the ones that made yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, this would be that story. Hmm. Did they get their gold? They do, and they get a lot more. Oh. And there's a lot of action. It's a thriller. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a scary thriller. And no dinosaurs pop out. No dinosaurs pop out. Uh, but there is a very infamous uh, sea creature oh. that makes an appearance. Okay. I didn't even know that he wrote a pirate book, so that was interesting to Neither me. did I. It took me... I was like, oh, oh, that's Jurassic Park. Park yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so we've done a pretty good job covering all these different genres. You did have a scary one. I didn't have too many that were, like, super scary. And then this one shows up on my desk. So uh, another staff member, Cha, she's processing books. She came across this one and goes, Maggie, you guys are recording your High Seas podcast. This one needs to be included. I have not had a chance to read it. The cover is beautiful. It is. So it's called Those We Drown by Amy Goldsmith. And it says at the top, the sea provides, but only if you feed it. Okay. okay. Right? So that kind of sounds like the ocean and siren. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of Greek mythology meets, like, influencer of modern day, if you will. Okay. So it's um, a story. 
And like I said, I have not read this yet. But as I'm reading it, it's 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 a thriller, a horror thriller. Um, and it's a debut by this author. So Liv's best friend disappears on their first night aboard their dream semester at sea program. It's an all-expenses-paid opportunity to study aboard a luxury cruise trip for a semester. And these kids cannot believe their luck, especially since... Um, a story of disappearing people, which kind of sounds creepy. And I like, just from what I was glimpsing, um, looking through this book, it sounds like that. And oh, it just sounds so scary. I don't do scary. So we'll see if, if I can handle it. But the cover is so beautiful that I want to read this book. So we'll see. I, I just, I don't do horror. Okay. So we've covered lots of topics. I think there's more books now from what you've talked about, Garrett, that I'm going to have to add to my to-be-read list. Specifically, <laughs> The Trust of the Emerald Island. That one does sound pretty. Emerald Sea. That one sounds really good to me. This one, The Pirate Latitudes, also. I probably will not read The Faceless Old Woman. <laughs> that That's a bit too much for me. So we'll see. Um, maybe some of these books are ones that you want to read, too. If you are joining us from outside of the local library community and you've stumbled on our Book Bites podcast um, check your own library, check your local bookstore, see if any of the titles that we've mentioned today pique your interest. And um, if you are local here at Napanee, be sure to let us know if there are any of the titles that we talked about today. We'll be happy to put them on the hold shelf for you to pick up when you come in the next time. Thank you so much for listening to Maggie's Book Bites. Garrett, you've done great. I know you were a little bit nervous, but thank you for being a Joe host for this episode. Uh, our next episode we're going to be recording is going to be featuring books that have a shared theme of battling censorship. So it's not books that have been censored, but books where the characters are fighting censorship. Okay. How's that for being a little bit different? Interesting. So we will be back next month to talk about those types of books. Um, if you are new to our podcast, you should be able to find back episodes um, by looking up Maggie's Book Bites wherever you listen to podcasts. And before we were a podcast, we were also on Facebook Live. So you'll be able to find old um, Facebook Live episodes, vlogs, if you will. And they're also posted on the Napanee Public Library YouTube page. So let us know if you have any questions. We cannot wait for our next episode. Garrett, thank you again. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Bye.